Punchy the Fat Bastard in the house. Yo, I, I, I have to say, so you, you were born in Harlem, but you were raised in the Bronx, right? Fire. I mean, I, I played both. And even when we moved to the Bronx, we only moved right over the bridge to 161st. Okay. Um, and, and so, I, but I, I never not was in both places at the same time. Like my family, my other family's there. I went to school in Harlem, and when I grew up, that's where I played because most of my friends from the early years was there. I'm wow. saying, you know how you stick to what you know. So, and when I went back to do my first video, I went there. So it's 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 pretty much the same thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like whatever. Yo, so you talking to we two, we, we, we two Bronx dudes. What was it like for you, though, growing up in the Bronx? What was it like? It was fire. Fun? It's crazy, man. You're asking the right questions over it. My man was just talking about this. He was saying how he remember when we was growing up, people used to be like, you live in the Bronx? Everything is burnt down. And we... <laughs> I said... When we moved to the Bronx after 161, which is right across from Yankee Stadium, mm -hmm. um, I had a fire childhood. The business was, was was popping, the courthouse was right there, so crime wasn't jumping through. Um, when we moved further uptown to Williams Bridge, close to Mount Vernon, okay. there was nothing but white people and like four or five Jamaicans and <laughs> everything else was like Italians, and I ain't even lying to you. And, nah, you're right, because I'm from Boston Road. I'm, I'm from that area, son. <laughs> and, and, and Albanians are a So, who was, who was chasing the black people after school? <laughs> but we didn't have, like, it used to be, I remember, shout out to Monifa. When Monifa and I were young, because she lived on my block, we used to go to clubs at about, I'm going to say 19, 17, 18, around there. And when we would come home on the train, um, us and our our friend group, it would be us and a bum on, on the train, the whole train. Us and a bum all the way to 241st Street. It was a bum. The bum was the only person. He was going not even get off the train and making you turn and go back to New New Lots of Flatbush or whatever. <laughs> right. so, so, yet nobody even knew this existed. Even, I could say like 10 years ago, you would tell somebody, that you lived up here and you had to say like a major place near here. Like I'd be like, oh, I live off Burke Avenue. They'd be like, where's that? I'd be like, you know, Glenville Road. They'd be like, oh, I know 219. I'm like, of course you do. They sell drugs over there. You probably be over here. But um, shout out to 219. And um, yeah, that's it. But they really well, So yeah, landmarks. You had to give landmarks. Y'all live next to Yankee Stadium. I live next to Skate Key. Shoot, but cool. yeah, I grew up in the, I grew up in the South Bronx, so I seen a lot of them burnt down buildings and vacant lots. Right. That shit was real. You know, you just shot down my whole Bronx ain't burnt down. <laughs> yo, I gave yeah. a whole spiel, bro. I'm gonna need you to work on your yo, support. Yo, yo, you you was, <laughs> you was fortunate enough to live uptown, boy. I was in the South Bronx. No, I was in the South Bronx. I was on one six one, nine ten Grand Concourse, and and we lived in nine fifty five Sheridan first. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm the hood, the hood. Okay. And um, you know, Yo, a lot hold on, hold on. Let me touch your hood car. So you see, you've seen people jumping off fridges onto springs and mattresses to do flips and vacant lots. Yeah, sir. You talking about fun? <laughs> you say that you're making the sound. See, I'm gonna need you to work on your skill. That sound like homicide jumping off already started off bad. We talking about fun. So yes, I saw people in graffiti lines, um, building backyards. 
jumping off of playgrounds that we had to make because that's what we had to work with. Uh-huh. Talk about you see it. how I did that there? Yeah. I'm going to need you to work on your presentation when you talk about the BX. Talk about it, son. Because the, uh, BX, the BX back then, especially, I'm, I'm from Jackson Avenue, and I got moved up to Boston Road. Yo, we used to my father was from Prospect. Yo, my, my parent, my, my, my parent, my father's from Forest. So playing in abandoned buildings, those are those are the boys, that was the clubhouse. You know what I mean? And keep a fire. You don't want to hang in an abandoned building, bro. That shit was the playhouse. That was like that was your first mansion. Like nobody else did with you. That's a fact. Well, how, how'd you People come be up making the sound like it's fire, but go ahead, I'm sorry. Where's the name Fat Bastard come from? And I, and I tell you why I asked that question. As a kid, I was a chubby kid. And they would always say, Rob, you fat bastard. <laughs> I used to hear that all my childhood because I was a chubby kid, so I lost the weight. And I'm like, I'm not a fat bastard no more. But then I heard- So that's what I did you. But then I said, is an MC called, called you the fat bastard? It's like, damn, that name was called all the time. <laughs> Nah, that's where it came from. It came from I got the same mouth now and the same the same verbiage and language and style of talking that I had when I was a kid. And um I guess which is how I became a, a rapper. So you would say something and you know, I started off with your mother, but I graduated quickly. Like, you know, your mother fuck with that though, so it don't matter what you say, you know. So I started off with your mother. But then it evolved into ratchet stuff. Like, um, oh, but that's why your father left your mother, and that's why y'all not, you know, y'all living how y'all living now. Like, it just turned into a whole bunch of terrible stuff. And they'd be like, oh, I hate that fat bastard. I mean, you're not gonna beat me up. My friend group was valid. My brothers was whatever. I had a big family. So I, I just had the mouth with it. I hate that fat bastard. So one day, and I'm gonna tell it how it's supposed to be told. One day, I didn't like being called that, but I knew that's what I was called. One day, Old Dirty and I was on the train together before we got on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You want to just gloss over and just start like Old Dirty, like Old Dirty, Old Dirty? A song. A song and I was on the train on Burke. Wow. He was coming from some shorty house at 241st. And um, we were on the train and we were both nobody at the time. And I saw him writing rhymes and I walked up and I'm like, yo, you write rhymes? You know, I was a battle rapper. So if I saw you looking like you rapping, it was an invitation. So I walked up and I'm like, you write rhymes? Who? Let me hear something. He rhymed, we started talking. His name was Old Old Dirty Bastard. At that time, I realized my name was MC Affecting, but they used to call me Pudgy because I was gaining weight because my grandmother died. I was eating everything I could find. And the girls was like, you're not fat, you're Pudgy. And so I took the pudgy part and ran with it. And then when he said that, because people were calling me the fat bastard, it immediately made sense to own it. I was like, oh shit. And that's how I made myself. But nobody know that. I said that one other time before. That's that's how I made it because I felt like he was old and dirty looking at the time, respectfully. That was his threat. <laughs> so, so it made sense. But since he owned it, that gave me the power to own the fat part. Right. I was like, he would be old and dirty and like it. Then <laughs> to fat bastard and like it. And that's how it happened. Like, 
it definitely was from people saying it. But I couldn't own it until that moment of clarity. So I'm respecting him. He's gone, and I want to tell it like it is because he motivated me to make a name that stuck. Yeah. Yo, so how? So just to go back, how'd you end up getting into um to rhyming? Uh, I used to listen to Rate and Shante and UTFO Battle. Mm. That that battle with Roxanne's cousin. What guy? What was it? So it was epic. That battle was epic. Yeah. That was the first time you just like, man, they going at each other. Mm-hmm. Was epic. I got the I got Roxanne versus Sparky D vinyl in here. Mm. Like I was on that whole battle. The Roxanne's cousin, Roxanne's sister, nephew. Everybody was coming out with a record, so it was a phenomenon to me. And one whole summer, before the battle happened, happened, I was in love with UTFO's album. Like, they, yeah, ah, oh, man. Like, they whole album, I was just in, in my grandfather's house in North Carolina one summer, and I just stayed in the room with the cassette player listening to that over and over and over again. And because it was three people, I think that's what kept me interested in the album because it was three personalities to listen to. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, it was Kango, but Dr. Ice was different. Okay. And then, you know, you had the educated rapper. And it was almost like watching a battle, but not a battle, because mm-hmm. you got three different voices with right. three perspectives on a situation. So it was different moments for me. So I was learning a lot. I didn't know it then, but I was learning a lot. And then the, the, the battle record came out and uh, world, 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 premiere, premiere, world, world, with Mr. Magic. And I just went crazy, like, yo, she answered the record back. Yo, that's crazy. And listening to her diss them and telling me that I had the mouth that was already reckless as a kid, I was like, oh, I could tell disrespect people on records. I could do that. like. I want to do that. So I started writing rhymes. Like it, it was really that. I just wanted to disrespect people worldwide, and um, <laughs> and and yeah. And so my first record, I was MC Effect then, and um, I wrote my first rhyme called "Sorry I Got It Better," and um, I was rock him at the time because his voice was the voice that mattered. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy because I like UTFO, but their voices wasn't the lit voices. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they didn't have that power. It was the moment. And you know, we, when we learn the evolution of hip hop and we learn the importance of tones and, and 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 placement of cadence and the energy and the timbre behind someone's voice, you understand why a certain artist resonates more than a certain artist. You don't know that when you're listening as a young person, but when you get older, you'd be like, oh. So I never liked, like, I would never like, think Kango was like fire, like he's a spitter. I like the records. Mm-hmm. So, right. I, so, so I realized I never took them with me, if that makes any sense. I never Whoa. took them as an artist with me. I never was like, Kango's my favorite rapper or right. the educated or they didn't matter to me. The records matter and what they did matter. So they mattered in the moment and after that I left them. But when I listened to Rod Kim, Rod Kim went everywhere with me, like his, his it was like he's the big brother. Like when you hear him talking, what he say is like, if he told you to slap somebody, you that might be the voice you hear before you slap somebody. Like yo, slap that. Like that's that type. Of, so I was like, okay, Rakim, that's that's what I want to be like. And, yo, um, I wrote 
my problem. Um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting you, you, you say that though, because I was, um, like one of the questions I had that I was gonna ask you about is for your album, Give Him The Finger. Like one of the things that I noticed, I'm like, for you to be a young MC, it's, it's noticeable that back then you understood cadence, song structure, and different things like 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 melodies and all that. Whereas, you know, I think that album came out probably like 90, what, 93, 94? 93. 93. October 93, there was people, in 93, there were people that they were spitters, they were rhyming and everything. But as far as like song structure and stuff, you had few artists that knew how to actually put together good songs and melodies and hooks and all that stuff. But you listen to your album, I'm like, they got a hook on every song, melodic, different cadence and all that so i don't know maybe that's maybe that's like the influences of like what you said like you know i could listen to a utfo and appreciate that how they use their voices as instruments but then i could listen to a rock him and appreciate his lyricism and how he moves but it was very apparent like from your debut album like yo this is the dude on his first album because i've seen many artists that don't realize that till later on in their careers you want to know it's kind of crazy, man. Um, this is what, what I teach everyone that I work with now, is to be present in every moment of your artistry. And I found that what you just said to me, I wish I had the clarity, I wish I had a musical family, even though I had musicians. My mother's first cousin was in Cool in the Gang, rest in peace, he just passed. Yes, I'm related to King's son. You know, I had, Everybody, Slick Rick lived up the block. And I worked with Antoinette all the time. She was like one of my, whatever. Jazzy Joyce lived four houses down. Um, Flex was always on the next corner with Monica, his girlfriend, while I was growing up. I had people around me, but they never lent themselves to tutoring me and schooling me in hip hop. I guess they were like two or three years older than me. So it's almost like they tried to little brother me and nobody really gave me the support. I had to go find my own peer group, you know, to work with. And in that, uh, I I have to respect the fact that God gave me some, some sensibility in music. Because when I listen to things, I hear them differently than people, as, as most great musicians do. Um, even now, when you're talking like, know the ledge from Rakim. The, begin, the intro to the song was important to me. So when I went to make songs, I'm only really putting this together and talking to you right now. When I went to make my songs, I wanted a, or an intro as time length and energy wise and importance as Rockies Know the Ledge. Mm. I wanted, I developed my, my musicianship sense of placement and things from listening to other people. I didn't have someone to teach me bars. So I, and it's crazy. Right now, you can play a beat and I can feel when it's eight bars, when it's 16 bars. And I'm, I'm only saying lines of the rhyme while it's going by and I'd be like, fire, skill. And I'd be like, all right, that's eight bars. Like, I can feel it. But I only got that from listening to my favorite rappers and falling where they fell on the song. And um, I think that, and, and thank you for saying that about that album. Because again, when I look back at Young Me, um, people say I was angry, and that's why I rhyme like that, which I guess. But uh, I had a passion for spitting. Uh, there was something about, you know, a forceful, aggressive delivery that created this 
understanding of where I was coming from. And when I listen back to those records, I'll be searching for what people say to me about me. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't, you don't really know. You're in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're smacking somebody, sometimes you don't remember exactly what happened. You just know that their head was on the floor and you're like, oh, it's, it's really like, you know, so yeah. making music is like that. You, it's like a holy ghost. It's like a spirit, right? You get in this place, even when you perform. Um, recently, maybe like a year and a half ago, whatever, I did a show with Mike Hands and Smith and Wesson and Babs Bunny and all these people. And shout out to everybody who was there. Heather Hunter hosted. Uh, and I'm doing this song I got on 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 this on Spotify everything now called Who Gonna Stop Me, and the song is really aggressive. Even even when I listen to the music, that's why I wrote to it. And shout out to James Gold who did the music. But I didn't even remember that I jumped in the crowd and started pushing some nigga that I didn't even know. And they recorded me. Well, you from the Bronx for real, my nigga. I don't know what you. <laughs> and son, they said. Yo, niggas came up to me and said, yo, you knew that nigga he was pushing like that? <laughs> I said, nah, what nigga? <laughs> niggas showed me, yo, son, I wasn't high, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink. Look moment. Yo, and because, you know, when it come on, I, and, and I think I had melody in the rhyme, but I still wanted to be aggressive. So when I came on, I lose myself as soon as I start rhyming. I'll be like, I think I did a murder. Kill him, put him in the dirt. Murdered them with a new car. Call that a new car alert. And as soon as I start saying that, everything, everything be crazy. And they used to say I'm not affectionate because I used to hug the block. But what's wrong with that, though? I love my block. I love my block. Reaching for the stars, whipping in the cars. Young P used to hang with people pushing keys. Soon as I start doing it, I was like, oh shit, it's that in the music. So when niggas told me, they said, yo, you just kept pushing the nigga. Like, I'm like, what nigga? And when I saw the video back, I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> I defrauded you and apologized to him. Like, I appreciate you for being involved in the show. Oh, <laughs> shout out to him if you ever seen this video. <laughs> That's the power of words, man. When you put them together, and sonically, when you feel it, it just it releases, man. Like even even when you wrote "Word Up, motherfucker," what's the motherfucking deal? Fuck Polo. <laughs> that that shit right there. Yeah, what's the motherfucking deal, nigga? Fuck Polo. You can call me Tommy Real, nigga. <laughs> that right there, guy. I'm like, what, Tommy? That's what I'm talking about. When I hear shit like that, hip hop. <laughs> I, I, I like, give me more. I need more, son. Keep feeding me like a battery, man. I love that shit. And so, you present a lot of that in your music, and I love hearing that. I appreciate y'all for saying this because um, I got a new single dropping very soon called Fingers in My Ear. That, um, Fingers in My Ears? Yeah, that's gonna, um, it's gonna be like that. It's gonna be like that. Are you working on new music then? Oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> everything is, <laughs> so so listen, I'm doing everything, bro. I got I'm on I'm on old streaming platforms with everything, right? But I, I'm on Sweet T's new single called Don't Play With It. I'm doing the chorus and the vamp on that. It's a dope song for me and because of Sweet T, the legendary Sweet T who came before me. Mm -hmm. It's a very 
who didn't stare at Sweet Cheese is Tea Time album as a young boy? Like, who is this brownskin chick? What the hell? Furs and mints? With the door knocking stuff. Say it again. So listen, she's still the same. <laughs> so that's like a dream come true. Like, you know, you set out to be a computer dude and then Bill Gates be like, yo, I want to hire you. You be like, ah! You know what I'm saying? So she she's she's dropping her new single and I'm on it and that's I feel like I'm on Rakim's I don't know if y'all know this. I'm on Rakim's seventh seal album on four songs and hooks. I'm on all the hooks, but I'm under my government name because I didn't want to rap at the time. I was finished with rap for or I thought for a minute under my name Tracy. So when people saw Tracy Horton, they didn't know and I was very happy. And then he messed that up by calling me to go perform with him at the Highline Ballroom. Um, and it was he and Rick Ross. And he's like, I want you to come sing the songs. I was like, what songs? He's like, the ones we did. So, <laughs> so if you go on YouTube, the song um, Walk These Streets with Mano and Rakim, that's me on the chorus. I'm just not in the video. Because right. I was just not at the place where I was stressing to be in the music business like that. Um, how, what was that about though? What made you what made you be like, nah, I don't wanna I don't wanna be in the music business no more? So first things first, it was a lot of things, but my first album they did not um Yeah, Giant Giant do not pay me any royalties and start reconciling. That was Giant Warner Brothers wow. for the album Giving the Finger. They did not pay me except last year they started because of Dan, Dan Sasson, shout out to him. He's a publishing chaser. If you need him, holla at him. Um, he rectified all that. He rectified all that for me and, and got that right. So I was already mad about the idea that I put work out into the universe, went on all these tours, wrote for all these people behind the scenes, but I felt like I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. So I was very ugh with, with all that. Then, um, you know, I wrote for, I wrote five songs for Left Eye on the Supernova album, and, um... That was very close, right, bro? Yeah, we weren't as close as Pac and I was, so that's, that's how her and I got close. Uh, she... Oh, man. Um, you know, Pac and I were close, very close, before he got on. Shout out to Stretch. From Live Squad, rest in peace. Uh, he introduced us when Pac was a dancer. Pac and I got wild tight after that. And so our friendship was a very normal friendship. It had nothing to do with the music industry. It was a human relationship. We were just brothers. Right. Both in the Bronx, both born in 1971, a month apart. Um, and we both spoke rudely about things we had ideas about. So that was a long relationship before he was on, before I, right when I was signing my first deal. And um, he passed. So that was really bad for me. And he had just said, you know, he was doing crazy stuff anyway. He had just said my name in the Hit Him Up video where he's dissing Biggie. And he already knew that Biggie and I was doing songs. Kevin, I'm here in New York. So he was like, you know, he was saying that he whatever with Faith and then he shouted out Smith and Weston and Naughty and myself in the video and people were coming up to me like, yo, you heard what popped in? I was like, oh God. But everywhere he went, he would say my name. So it wasn't like that was an isolated incident. 
right. you know, um, one time he was interviewing Angie Martinez and she was like, yo, I didn't know you and Pac were this close because he was talking about a baseball team. If Raekwon had a baseball team, Pac, you the fat bastard and in people's mind, they don't know that you're associated with these people because yeah, right. it's just not the consumption, right? So when he passed, I was twisted. Biggie passed, I was twisted. Left Eye got the lyrics. We were in LA at the time um, at Dr. Sabi's office. Wow. And because Dr. Sabi used to date her mother when they was when she was young. So that's how she knew him. So she had got us all the pills and all that. She was telling me she was gonna invest in him and go to Honduras. And she was like, yo, Pac's mother just sent me these vocals. I'm gonna let you um, write my part because that's gonna be the last time y'all get to rock together. And you, yeah, that, it was deep. It was, it was, we both was like, you know, twisted about it. We went in the studio. The song's called Untouchable. It's on YouTube and on her Supernova album. And um, I laid the lyrics, her part. And all of her joints, she listened to me to. If you go listen to Hot by Left Eye, I had her sound like she was straight from New York, like rap fire. And then she tricked me. She did all the other songs, pretty much how I said, the I Believe in Me, the joint I wrote with her and Carl Thomas. She did that kind of good, even though she did that. I said, I said, I was like, yo, I well, stop this, right? So she takes me to the studio. I lay the joint for Untouchable with her and Pop. She's like, oh, I'm tired. We're going to lay it tomorrow. We stand in the Mondrian in LA. I get up. She's nowhere to be found. She went and laid the joint without me, son. Damn. I was like, yo, Lisa, um, that ain't, that's not how I told you, to, that's not the reference. She's like, oh, I felt it was good. You know, she a Gemini. I wasn't about to go toe to toe. I was like, she a female, just let her rock. If you like it, I love it. So, yeah, and then we seen each other um, when she came back to LA. She said, yo, right after we come back from Honduras, um, we're going to do some more records. And she never came back from my nook. Yeah. So, so I was done with hip hop to get to the to get to the question. I was done with hip hop. I was running around screaming, hip hop is the devil. I said this prayer to God so that he could take away whatever, whatever, I don't even want to say it out loud now, but whatever skills or whatever that happened. I was crying on my knees, like, this music business. Uh, uh. Yeah. Well, for about 10 years, you could play any beat in the world. I could not hear nothing. I was a regular person. I had made enough bread to stay in the house and never come outside, and that's what I did. And that's when I started losing weight. Um, something, I took this, these pills, and they gave me crazy energy, and I just started running around the world, and I lost 90 pounds. I was like, well, crazy Lord, something came out of this. Yeah. And then, um, at one point, I started going places and getting involved with just simple sex, and people would be like, yo, there's something special about you. And then people who knew who I was was like, nah, man, you music, you ain't nothing else. You know, I went back to school for another degree thinking I was gonna find some new magic and then I would be there and the directors would be like, why are you here? You know more than people, you should be teaching these classes. So it became a thing where no matter what I try to do to get away from myself, it was just me and me back in the same place. You know what? And, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, that's what you're saying. No, 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 you good, ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know what I respect about that though? The fact that you even, had the weird with though. And it's funny because me and Rob was talking about this earlier. We were talking about like mental health and 
disrespectful. And the fact that you even had the wherewithal to say, like, all right, you know what? This is this is not making me feel how I want to feel. I'm not getting what I should get out of it. I'm gonna take a break and step away from it. And it sounds like stepping away from it sort of reinvigorated you or gave you clarity after the fact. Hey, yo, I, I, yo, I, I took my cap to you for that because a lot of people, once they get their foot in that door, no matter whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, they gonna, they gonna hang on to it to the very end. Listen, I'm gonna say something. First of all, I appreciate, I appreciate you for saying that. Cause some people, you know what I realized? Lowly people, and I'm I, anybody who's watching, lowly people who are desperate and don't see anything else in themselves. And I'm not, I'm not putting no positive spin on it. I'm not saying it nicely. People who don't got no self-respect, self-esteem, and don't have on the lighter side a support system or whatever may feel like they're stuck. It's like being in an abusive relationship because that's what it would be, right? Uh, for me, I'm a cancer, you know? And like 50 said, and Missy Elliott, and Jim Jones, and Kevin Hart, and a lot of us have the same whatever. And if it don't make us happy, we don't want it. And I know that in the beginning, on my first deal, like people always wonder what happened. And you know, I know that y'all, I'm assuming you, you feel like this, no one likes to hear somebody misspeak about your actual life. Like, you can tell me what you thought, but don't tell me what actually happened because I'm gonna tell you what happened, mm -hmm. right? So, it's crazy. So I walked away from every deal that I was on. I, I, yes, at some point I wanted a deal after just wanting to run, but I really just wanted to run. So when I was on Giant Warner Brothers, I was like, after the first single, I said, I don't like this, this is not, this ain't it. I don't want to be here. They put the album out without me being signed to the label anymore. I asked for a release. Latifah helped me get out that deal. Yeah. Nobody knows that. I never, people think, oh, you fell off. Oh, you did. I never wanted this business like that. I wanted people to hear me spit. Because when I was young, I didn't like my speaking voice. My mother educated me re really well because she was the educator in the home. My father taught me martial arts. My mother taught me education. My mother taught me corporate lifestyle. My mother was a director of Verizon, 9X before that, and whatever. My mother's a collegiate individual. She went to school my entire childhood. My sister would say we barely saw her. Um, I would say we saw her after school and after work. And so, um, but my mother, that's what she's about, academia and a successful life, lifestyle that would allow you to do other things in your life that you want to do. So. She wanted me to go to Brown. I was getting all these scholarships. You know, I'm wildly intelligent, but I have ADHD and have now find out, found out that I'm bipolar, whatever, whatever. Um, which doesn't mean you're schizophrenic. It means that you have crazy mood swings, which explains why we want to slap people and then be like, what's up? Let's go to the party. You know, so at some, at some point, um, you talk about mental health. I think I always had a grip on myself and I never, just like with the music, I never knew what it was. I knew that God gave me something. And even with my parents, my mother would be like, oh, you're a knucklehead. But I was going to do what I want. I don't care what. I wasn't robbing. I wasn't stealing. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't raping. But when it came to, if I wanted to write rhymes or go to this class and pay all the attention, like, so I would finish, my, historically, I would finish everything before everybody and then mess with the whole class because I was smart. So I would just be like, oh, the time, the test is done. And people were like, you done? I'm like, yep. And then I would just be making this weird squeaky noise in my ear that I could do 
or stuff like that. So I was always in trouble, but it was never for academia. I was in the top, my mother gave me some paper recently. I was like in the top whatever 1% of children that were educated. I have some whatever IQ. But at the same time with the ADHD, I can't sit still, even now. I'm doing everything. And my house and my studio looks just like that. Everything going on, right? I need this, I need these um, digital this here, I need these to be ready to do this. I, everything has to be at my disposal because the moment I'm bored with this, I'm doing that. It's just, just how it works. So I think my mental health was something that I always had control of, my feelings. I always put my feelings first. I didn't care how you feel. Um, the, like say the music, people, when I would be on tour, people would say, oh, you, they would try to make me feel bad. You're not here for Thanksgiving, you're not here for this and that. But I knew that I didn't like being around certain members of this huge family who like to say whatever they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I would shelter myself. When I was here, I would be in my room writing rhymes or not, because I knew that you had the propensity and you were an adult to be disrespectful. Right. And me at 14, I was still going to talk to you like, who are you talking to? You birdhead old lady, right? <laughs> so my, to save my mother, from being pissed off and then being pissed off at me, I would isolate myself because mm. I never, I fought the whole 47th precinct. Shout out to the 47th precinct. Hold on, um, even more, yo, you're so uptown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're so uptown. Bro. Yeah, yeah, shout out, shout out to any of the ladies who was out there screaming for me when they had me out there on my, in my underwear. Um, <laughs> Yeah, dude, dude put his he put his hand on me. I put put his hand in the arm bar and he couldn't get out and I just commenced to keep punching him all the whole time. like in his head a whole hundred times. So the whole precinct had to come out. They still couldn't get me off. Um shout out to Bert. Bert was in the front who was driving, yelling out, Let him go! Let him go, punch! Let him go! Cause the whole precinct was shaking the path. It was in a paper and, and Al Sharpton who didn't want to come up and rep me. Um, I have no good words for you. Um, may your bobblehead fall off and roll under um, an alley somewhere. Cause my mom's always trying to give them the help when they try to do whatever. So yeah, may your bobble lollipop head roll off underneath some truck and get rolled over. Next. So yeah. Um, so that's just what it was, man. You know, I, I, had a, I had a very good sense of self. My self-awareness has always been on. And I didn't even know when people would talk to me about me, I'll be like, word? I'm like that. You know, I, I just was never gonna let nobody oppress me. I told people I would have been the male Harriet Tubman. Like, y'all wanna stay here and be slaves? Praise the Lord. I'm about to go find a way up out of here and do what we need to do. And it seemed like, you know, some people, and it's like the company people, right? Some people are okay being slaves because they don't want to disrupt whatever or get beat. And they just want to go along and get along. I've never been that person. Right. I'm sorry. If, if I got to pull the emergency brake to stop this train because I want over now, I'm going to pull the emergency brake. <laughs> and I'm going to get off now. <laughs> that's why? just it. And I think I think that's what a lot of people need for themselves. That, you know, why uh, why, why can't I recognize I think back, I'm like, the only other people, I knew Color Me Bad. I knew, I think they had MC Hammer at one point, but Lord Finesse, that, I think Lord Finesse Return of the Funky Man album was on there, right? Yeah, shout out to Finesse Man because we came up together. Um, we was always on the phone rhyming back and forth when he was living with his grandmother. Um, rest in peace to her. Uh, you know what? I should have learned my lesson from, from that. But at that point, I was tired and I wanted the deal. And Trackmasters got that deal. And Max Goose was there. Shout out to him. And it looked like it was going to be official. 
And it was like, you know, again, we talk about landmarks, right? That was a landmark and a long journey of spitting, rhyming and skate key, battling people, getting on clues, mixtapes, and Ron G and Duop, and wondering what's the end game? What's the goal here? So if we was not gonna go get a nine to five, we had to find a home for this music to be distributed. And, and, and I guess that's where I was. I wanted it to be distributed. And that seemed like the most ideal situation with the way that it was presented to me at the time. Wow. Um, yeah, they had Color Me Bad, they had Jade, uh, which, you know, Kevin, shout out to Kevin for Color Me Bad. His uh, child's mother was my friend. She actually brought me into the situation when I was signed with Grandmaster Flash. Her name was Essence. She is now dead, passed away. Shout out to her. Yeah, she was on the New Jack City soundtrack. So shout out to her. And um, it, it seemed like it was going to be a, a good situation. I didn't... I liked everything about it. It felt supportive in the first few months they had like two parties for me and one in atlanta one hey it was it was fire i i it's just i knew that they did not have what i wanted which was a def jam family of artists to piggyback off of right uh and and even though again i didn't know if what i was feeling or thinking was right but i trust i was like shouldn't i be like the other rappers that got people that they do songs with and they go on tour and they in it why don't have that here so don't ask me but that little kid that i was at 22 was like it don't seem right i don't want to be here no more and i asked for it like right in the beginning i didn't care how much money i want i want off i don't like it you know and, it's funny, huh? it's funny you say that too because that was one of the other things that i was going to say like your, your album you had very few features i think you had G rap, G rap's the rapper's rapper. We'll get to G rap in a minute because I want to talk to you about G rap. G rap, Snagglepuss, and I think one other person, right? But I thought nah, that was, I, I, had, I had I had Gowdy and Frank Nitty rhyming on that joint, doing them see something terrible. Yeah, I thought Snaggle that was by design, though. I thought that honestly, I'm like that. I thought that was by design that you had a debut I mean, album. I mean by design. Meaning that you had a debut album. You was like, yo, I'm pudgy. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna give a couple of people. I mean, anybody, anybody oh, yeah. can rap on the oh, album. Yeah. Anybody yeah. can rap on the album. G rap is G yeah. rap. I didn't like nobody like that. You know what's crazy? The one I don't got no regrets ever. But the you know that. I, shout out to OC. OC is forever gonna be my brother. OC, when I broke up with my girl, he told me to come to his house, and he and his moms made sure that. That nervous breakdown or that jail time that I was gonna do for what I was thinking about doing when I call her cheating, um, never happened. Yo, so you know, and you gotta be respectful of the chess moves that happen in your life and the people that are associated with them. Mm -hmm. And I was in a very volatile place because people who see me and see my aesthetic, this is what my parents made when they had sex. But inside of me is a silverback that sometimes knocks me out the way and takes control. Mm. So at that moment, had he not put his arm on my shoulder and his mom put his arm on the other, I probably would be talking to you from a collect call. Damn. Because um, I was, you know, you, Clue and I came up to the door, my ex-girl, her sister wouldn't let me in because she was pregnant. She was like, oh, don't push past the door. But she was in the bed with a dude. And... When Wait, you're young, who, who was pregnant? Hold on, go back. Who was pregnant? 
Nah, 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 nah. My ex-girl's sister was pregnant. Oh, okay, so okay. That was the reason that we didn't knock down the door. Okay. She was like, I'm pregnant, don't you push past this door. My sister was in the back with a dude. Damn. That's the episode. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, man, you know, it happened to the whoever. You know, you go on tour, people can't wait. People young or not young, just thoughts. I don't know what it is. Shout out to her, we cool now. But there are people like her behaving like that back then. Yeah, and the facts be the facts, right? We can't erase the facts. What you do it is both of our stories. So, nevertheless, OC, I was at his crib and he was with me at my sessions, and I never, I never put him on the album, but that's because I didn't find the song where I felt like you said. I just wanted to rhyme. I had bars for everything. Mm-hmm. You could have put on your mother banging pots and pans in the kitchen, and I was gonna have two verses and a chorus in ten minutes. So I didn't need anybody to fill up my spaces or my songs. Um, that would have been a passion project, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I reached out to him recently to do something. Uh, we're gonna see how that goes. I mean, he says whatever part. I mean, again, we brothers, whatever. But G rap came. G rap is where I got my metaphorical, theosophical, lorical, slaughter, slaughter you from. And um, you know, after the Shantae's and all that, he actually wrote for her, right? So when I started exploring her, um, I, I wasn't jacking G-Rap when people were on the Juice Crew features. It wasn't until he started making his own joint streets in New York. It, it just, there was something so believable about this narrator. Um, I felt like, you know how you go to a hood, and the person who's talking to you be like, yo, don't go down this block. If you go down this block, some bad, and you like, oh, they they know what they talking about. They out here. Mm-hmm. When I listened to G-Rap's record, I, I felt like he was out here. <laughs> like, yeah. he everything that happened, he was there or making it happen. So, right. Joe Fatal, um, shout out to Joe Fatal, um, who has been my brother the whole time I've been doing this music thing. I told Fatal I wanted G-Rap on the song, and he took me to G-Rap's house. It was that easy. I sat there for a couple hours, we talked, and G-Rap was on the album. And, um, yeah, man, same with MC Light. You know, Light is on there talking, and I was like, yo, Light, come to the studio. She just came through and was talking on the album. Like, those times, I'm sure people have stuff like that, but those times are so organic because if you fuck with somebody, fuck with them. Like, mm-hmm. you like what they was doing, you was just go. A session was different back in the day. Yeah. A session, like a, a vibe party. Now it's yeah. those those that, days. Those days were great because that's the music you can really make music because you're in the studio with the producer, with the art. Right. You're feeding off of these kind of energy, and y'all come over. Even if you're in there four or five hours, eating chicken wings, sipping stew, whatever you're doing, but you're feeding off of the camaraderie of being in the same environment, mm-hmm. and you make beautiful music. I love that, man. One of the things I wanted yeah. to ask you, and kind of in the, in the same light, how do you feel about social media robbing the authenticity of hip hop? And that, that's kind of you know what? what we're talking about because that authenticity. Now niggas are sending emails, track emails, 
I want to sit in the studio, like, you know what I mean? Even, even when we're doing- So here's the thing. Yeah. Here's what, I, here's what I know, right? I know that I've been in this business since the business was the business. And before the business was the business. And I'm a person who likes to educate myself on current things. So I went back and I got a degree in social media communications. My degree is in media communication. So um, I did all those studies. I had the top people from the newspapers, from the internet, from from commercial um, brand lines, tied and come and speak to us and educate us on the illusion of media. Being on tour since you was a kid and knowing that there's a hustling promoter, there's a ticket scalper, there's somebody lying saying they, they were the artist. I feel like social media ain't nothing but scalper. A, a beat that, but a beast mode of, of the lies that we know that are in the music business. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen foolery, and uh, you know, back then we had to see them on set. You yeah. know what I'm saying? We had to be in a party with the fakers. But now on the internet, for me, with my life experience, once you've been a whole bunch of places and met a whole bunch of personalities, you just feel that somebody put a camera on all of them. I'm not. Nothing would, I, I didn't have to be trained in what a shenanigan was on the internet. I was like, uh-huh, this don't look nice. And I've been on everything. Like I'm a person that didn't phase myself. I, again, I'm a tech person. So Black Planets, AOL chats, MySpaces. Like I just walked the walk just out of curiosity. And I was on trend with the black planets. And so I got to see the maturation of the internet and how a small scam turned into a bigger version of the same scam that was last week and was able to identify. So how do I feel about it? I don't feel, I feel like if you was on your P's and Q's in real life, you're on your P's and Q's on social media. Uh, I don't, I'm not like, ooh, or the only thing, and I be telling people this when they be having relationship issues because of social media, I'm like, the only thing that this is giving you is access. These same ratchet people was in Texas. These same ratchet people was in Texas. I'm just saying, ratchet people everywhere. Ratchet people in California, ratchet people. All, the only thing that is now, you can pick up your phone while you're waiting in the doctor's office and see them. You don't need a plane ticket, but those of us who had either music tours or big families with cousins and you went to visit other towns like people that live in England come here to visit their cousins in Brooklyn it's a whole nother mindset they seen all of this so you putting a camera on it they feel like you late you know what I'm saying half the music that we listen to now I feel like you late they've been doing this in the diaspora and the subcultures out there they've been on this they've been doing this type of you're just late because you go to Walmart job come home and listen to your five favorite artists and you be acting shocked when this person finally gets a push. But I don't feel nothing is new, bro. When people talk to me about all of this stuff, um, what's the newest scam? Oh, send me 300, I'm gonna send you 10,000. They've been doing pyramids everywhere. Bro, listen, stop playing with me. That nothing is new. If you it was on the scams before, remember the scam when AOL first came out? Oh, my brother. 
I am from Africa and I have access to 10 million. I just need someone to transfer the phone. <laughs> Bitch, why are you sending you nothing, blog? Right. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not that type of human, bro. So we not gonna even have, it's like walking down 42nd when they had three car mods. He was like, I don't wanna know what's under none of them cups, move. I'm trying to get to the studio, like, this is like, this is for fools. I don't get involved in none of them flower hustles, pyramid, nothing, the rose, I ain't doing none of it, bro. Tell a little bit about your early years hanging out with Nas and Akinelli. Nas and Akinelli, shout out to, <laughs> shout out to both of them. Um, they two of the realest, man. I, 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 all I can say is, again, we had a night, a nightly cipher. Um, Nas, I'm sure he's seen me say this before, but I'm so excited about how he carried forth because on the calls. Nas was not as ready as Akinelli and I was. Mm -hmm. He would have him, he'd be like, yo, I only got eight bars, I'm gonna have my verse on Friday. He'd be like, but we gave you a verse every night. <laughs> so, um, but he went on to be a writer with, you know, for me, with prolific writing and um, <clears throat> a visionary type of storytelling style and a presence that he carried forth and he had the tenacity. The one thing I'm gonna say is he didn't quit on himself right. or hip hop. Right. Uh, Akinelli, um, we already know, or maybe y'all don't know, that he got the great clubs with the ladies entertaining. Don't he got King of Diamonds? Yeah, that. <laughs> you know, so, and, and listen, that's true to who he was, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Put it in your mouth, and he kept it. He kept, he kept it consistent. But I'm gonna say this. So he was on his freak Yeah, but I'm gonna say these were my real friends, man. I mean, they knew my sister. They um, when I neither one of them went to college, but when I went to go, my mother was like, "You either going? Yeah, that's that rapping is great that you want to try to do, but if you want to be here, I need to see an enrollment." So they went with me to enroll in college, even though they were not enrolling. My bros got on the train and went with me, and I, I'm never gonna forget that. Like that's that's something that has nothing to do with hip hop, right? You know what I'm saying? And so when they call, if they ever needed something of me and to tell their story, me to tell the early years of who they were and about their tenacity, you know, I just spoke to I, um, a couple of months back, and um, he's the same. And yeah, he's like, like talking to Ot is nothing but a laugh fest, and the way he talk about it, it's like, you know, it's like Pac and I had a way of talking that was rough. Like, oh, they trash. I could be like, you know, man, they do what they do, and people, some people won't like it. Like it's so crazy. It would be some crazy way to say the same thing, but you knew we, we, we were saying the same thing. Yeah, now nah, that sounds exactly like it. Is it true you wrote Joe Fatal's verse for Live at the Barbecue? So, I'm going to say this exactly how it's supposed Fatal called me one night. I woke up. It was late. They was in the studio. He said, yo, I want to be on a song. I don't have no bars. I freestyled him however many bars maybe eight, maybe 10. And by the time I, I said, I'll call you back with the rest. And when I called him back, I could not have finished the last few lines. So it was a collaborative effort. So when um, 
I say I wrote it. I mean, I wrote whatever part I wrote. Yeah. But again, because that that caused a little bit of confusion. Um, you know, Fatal wasn't an MC. You know what I'm saying? He was a DJ, and he was my brother. And I'm going when they call, I'm gonna support them in whatever they want to do. So uh, I definitely was a part of that joint. Period in the That's story. The tune right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a good, that, that was a good verse. It just so happened though to be to be on there with Nas and. Well, that's the family. It wasn't. They, it was not going to not happen. That's like the G rap thing. Um, Paul, you know, large professor. He was the click. Like, you know, they went to school together. Nas and 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 Fatal and Paul. Like, these is friend friends again. This isn't. This wasn't. Yo, I like that rapper. Let me put them on there. Right. This was. My boy nice, we doing some joints. I want him on this. Um and that's what that is. It's it was all organic. I was there when he was making the Breaking Adams um album. You know what I'm saying? Wearing certain penny loafers because my mother told me I was not gonna be a rapper. So I had to leave the house and put the clues and she said I was rocking. And um Yeah. Um I mean they were they were expensive clothes, but I mean I'm not gonna be at the golf club. It's just never gonna happen. Like, but that's why I look like I was going. I'm going to the golf club. Y'all coming? So, yo, how'd you uh, how'd you how'd you link up with um with Trackmasters? Cause you worked with Trackmasters in their infancy when they was just getting started. Fire. Uh, my god sister Aisha, she was in the group Poison Posse, a group that Sweet Tea created. I remember Poison Posse. And. At one point, while they were doing their project, we were at her house, and she was just tired of me being lit and not having the outlet for it. Mm -hmm. And she grew up with Tone, right? I love Tone from Trackmasters, and she called him, and I rhymed for him on the phone, and um, three weeks later, we had a deal. Damn. That's quick. Yeah, I went to demos with them, and yeah, nah, it was, listen, man, I mean, now listen, we talk we talk about the end being that fast, right? The deal procurement sounding like oh overnight, but there was no overnight. I was rhyming for years, rhyming, trying to battle everybody. I knew um Gangstar when they came here and they was living on Fordham Road when they came from Boston. I knew everybody. But Diamond D said to me, who I knew from the beginning, nobody's gonna help you because you're better than them, which made no sense to me. But um Wow. It lit the fire. It, it, it gave me the clarity I needed to say, oh, okay, so if they're not going to help, then I'm going to have to just go fire and burn everybody to shreds so that they're non-existent. And that my name is the only name that's mattering when it comes to bars. And that's where I went with it, you know? And then um, the Clue tapes and all the other tapes. And this is, and then DMX, uh, after one of the Clue tapes, X was X used to stay at my cousin's house, Vic. And um, my cousin Damien asked me to do a song with X. He was like, yo, cuz, you should do a song just do from my hood. Now, X wasn't out yet. Um, and we met up here, I just had a son, Gerb, Xavier. And I came and picked him up in my MPV and we went to Nick Wiz's studio. And um, we did two joints. And they was fired. <laughs> Those are some dope times. Sorry, I'm just, you know, RIPX, man, because yeah. it's always the good ones. Um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of want to know this, man. So, right. I feel like yeah. it, 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 it appears that 
the, the, the lifestyle or the way you was living or the way you live today, even today, man, your opinion and God, man, all of your relationships are authentic and organic. It's not, it's not some superficial shit. And that's why you can cherish those moments. But I, can, I can feel your vibe when you talk about left by big car. That's like me talking about the car. You know what I'm saying? That's like me talking about my brother I grew up with. You know what I mean? When we keep aiming trees on with the 50 cent You know what I mean? Then we blew up and then other stuff started to happen. But I remember maybe you were picking in your nose. That's them days. I know that. You know what I mean? You know what? I realize that I, I, I've done my best to try to remain not like everybody else. There you go. If I see y'all doing at this, I don't want to do that. Like, I got a, a letter that ex wrote me from jail. Mm. I didn't post it. Um, maybe one day it'll be something somebody wants to buy, but right now he just passed. It's not something to put online. You know, I see people post these pop letters and do all this stuff, and the next day the person dies all about you. Man, we would, I remember when we did something, I don't like none of that. You never, you're never gonna see, like, there's no grieving period for me. Um, it was kind of shocking when he did the Dream Champs interview, and then he, he says in the interview that Pudgy and I were in the studio when I got the call and my grandmother died. And then people were calling me, but it's kind of how you said, I felt like I'm with my man Mike when his grandmother died. Like, you don't, you don't care about Mike, so why you care about the man? Like, right, right. like yeah. it's just a person. Um, do I realize the value of these people? Yes, I started with Jay-Z. Yes, I know all these people, but they're just human beings that's doing whatever they're doing on whatever level they're doing it on. If I see you, you're still gonna be the same person in my head that had on the same jeans and sneakers when I last saw you. Wow. I, I don't see what you acquired because all that can disappear. Wow. I don't see who you're sleeping with because y'all can break up. Um, Nothing impresses me in the way that it changes the value of your humanity. If you're a shit person and you get a lot of stuff, I'm gonna say, look at that shit person with a lot of stuff. <laughs> and if you're a dope person with a lot of stuff, then we're not even gonna talk about this stuff because you're not coming with that air about you. Mm -hmm. You're coming into the circle like, how can we work together? How you been? And that's it. Um, stuff yeah. is just stuff. And that's something, I'm gonna have to say, that's something my mom taught me. Stuff is just stuff. Uh, it, it could get messed up, it could get totaled, it could get burned down. Mm -hmm. Stuff is just stuff. And a lot of people, because they never had stuff or don't understand that stuff is just stuff, they make that the bane of their existence and they're chasing people for the wrong reasons. And that's why they're inauthentic and they don't get the blessings that they want. I'm, I'm good on this level, and I'm good on this level, and I'm good in between, and I'm good not being on any level and being over here and being happy. So um, I think it's important to maintain your identity. And when you start talking about mental health, it's crazy. Because when I do some interviews, some people hit things right on the head, and some people make me want to go get a sandwich while they're talking. So once I jumped in talking to y'all, y'all got everything figured out. And it's funny, when I went back to school, I wanted to create a program that helped artists maintain their identity. From identifying yourself before you go into this business, knowing who you are at all times during this business, no matter what level, no matter what accolades, I'm realizing when you transition out of that, 
at the importance or the, the glitter of and glimmer of those things may devalue in time. It may be like driving a car off a lot. You're the dopest car in the hood when you're you the new Range Rover that came out. But after two months, two weeks, there's a new whatever coming out and you might have to drop a new car, uh, you know, in your line, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the most important part, and, and it's funny, when I was doing this, you know, creating this program and thinking about doing it, Justin Bieber was going through all the stuff he was going through. And it definitely made me realize that it's going to continue, you know, Amy Winehouses and so on and so forth. It is not easy to, if you weren't lit growing up, and you get your, I'm gonna make it about a female, and you get your body done, and you're suddenly beautiful, and everyone, all these labels are pushing you to all these things, and you got a stylist all day, and now you're this different version of who you were when you just wasn't lit. It could go really bad, because you probably found the version of yourself you thought you always wanted to be, but it's not actually you, because uh, it's, it's it is, it's addressing, the clothes are addressing, the surgeries are addressing, the real you is underneath there, and if the, uh, the real you was broken going in, and you didn't do anything besides the surgeries, the real you is still broken. So when men talk to you, you're gonna be vulnerable. When businesses talk to you, you're gonna be vulnerable. And when you leave all those things, the people who knew that you were trash going in, or knew that you were whatever you were, they're going to definitely remind you. And if you don't have a hold on who you are from the beginning to end, you have chinks in your arm. And I've never been that person. Like recently I came out, my hair grows, you know, I'm mixed. So my hair grows, whatever, whatever. And um, I cut it all the time. So I went outside with my hair like stupid. It had to be like the biggest afro anybody ever seen. But I was going to the barber to cut it to decide what, what style I want to eat. And because of how my hair grows, they always tell me to blow dry my hair first. Right. I'm going to the store and I see dudes on the block. And they're like, oh, you came outside looking crazy. The rap out here looking crazy. <laughs> and I turned around like, and I look beautiful. What are you talking about? And you're paying attention, a dude on the corner. Like, sell crack, do whatever you're doing. Like, right? But that's what my family instilled in me it's not i know my my purpose was to come out like you were talking about the music earlier intentionally to go to where i'm going because it has to look like this so that they can make you look like it's supposed to look so there was no way not to come outside with my hair going but you with taking what i like to call the snapshot of somebody you think that this is the largest sum of my existence bro this is 25 minutes in the barber seat and had I not seen you, you would have never seen this. So I feel like people make things out of things that are nothing because they're seeking to tear you down. Mm -hmm. I'm fired regardless, bro. I'm fired. However, if I came out and this looked like I just fought in the locker room 15 people before I came on stage, it's just a hairstyle, bro. If I needed a facial surgery, then you could be like, yo, that face, and I have nothing. <laughs> so I, I think people need to get a grasp on who they are and even if you're not the what society says is the most visually acceptable find the, the things in yourself 
personality and appearance wise that are strong and emphasize those and play to those things and realize what you do have versus what you don't have. And I think we try to, and we all do it, we try to sh shed a light on some things that ain't it at that moment. But that's your moment to tell me what is lit. Oh, you, mine, you, I don't know about that right there. Oh yeah, well, so, okay, we had a conversation. You telling me what's lit and you're gonna get those rolls off, you know, those chichos you have on the side, or you're, gonna, you're going to the gym and you know about this, but you work now, you're creating a program and you're fire and you just had a baby. Well, there it is. Uh, I'm just saying, all of us can have a day, but knowing who you are versus who you're not is what it is. Um, and, and, and I think that's what I tell my kids, especially my daughter. and. Um, that's why I tell my friends who have low self-esteem. So 